Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Hosted by Todd Hirsch, ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist, the future of podcast is in its second season. By connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for the things that mean the most to you, the future of podcast promises to give you insights to help you navigate what is often an uncertain future. Explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunities it creates. Subscribe to the future of in the Apple Store, Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found and connect with us at atb.com slash the future of. speak to you now from the past. <laughs> I mean, technically speaking, we do all the time because we record this before you listen to it. But we are further in the past than we normally record because we are canning this episode so we can go on that foretold vacation, which we've been <laughs> gushing about for weeks now. Uh, this is the episode. This is the episode that you will be hearing while we are on vacation and we are recording it a little ahead of time. Yeah. So this is our message to the future. As you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're such dorks. I yeah. love it. And and of course, uh, as previously established, no cheating occurred here. Uh, we did not read two chapters and then record two episodes. We read a chapter, recorded an episode, read a chapter, recorded an episode. Yeah. We just like bumped the schedule up. That's yeah. all. We always go into each chapter blind and uh, record with no future knowledge. That was always the intention of this podcast. Yes. So that we can be surprised along with you and, and discuss twists and turns along the way without having that that knowledge of what's coming down the road. We remain true, dear listeners. We always have. Now, obviously, we do still do a, a full recap. We are approaching the end of this novel. Uh, so it is, I think, at this juncture, maybe worth mentioning that uh, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, after we finish the last chapter of any novel, we do then have a full analysis. We go full book club yep. and take a look back on the entire novel with the the benefit of the full context of the book. Yep. We, uh, we take a step back and we look at the work as a whole. We get out the snobby book club questions. Yep. We discuss things. There may or may not be wine that we do not drink on microphone, snacks, you know, book club stuff. Yeah. So something to look forward to. Again, if if this is your first time joining us for a novel. If you physically look at the book, we are... Approaching the end. We're getting, yeah, right close to the end. That That's bookmark right. is, is moving down. But we are not currently at the end. And uh, with that said, a quick recap of chapter 20 of our novel in which Nick has an encounter with a strange entity and uh, attempts to strike a bargain to get a book, fails to strike a bargain, takes the book anyway. <laughs> and that leads us into chapter 21 of Beneath the Rising by Premi Mohammed. Now, Nick wakes up in this chapter to thumping. He sees Johnny sitting at the table working at a, a frenzied pace, just full prodigy mode. Oh, yeah, like the the little specks are coming off her like crazy. Yeah, she's she's burning years off her life at the moment. She has also collected several additional books and created what Nick believes to be a crude decryption cylinder. 
It's not made clear exactly what it is, but it's a pretty educated guess, I'd say. Yeah, it uh, it struck me as like her version of like the decoder ring, yeah. except it needs to be much bigger. <laughs> He's like, what's, what's going on? And she just kind of nonchalantly is like, something's trying to break into the library right now. And Nick is like, okay, we've got to go then <laughs> now. I was under the impression that he slept through the beginning of this attack on the library. Oh, 100%. Like he was, he was some tired that he slept through the inevitable, like scratching, bumping, scraping, knocking, and now it's down to thumping, right? Just that's how tired he was that he slept through like the opening attacks. Well, and obviously Johnny hasn't been paying it too much mind because she's focused on more important things than running for her life at the moment. Look, she's real busy and he was real tired. Yeah. Um, She, in fact, straight up says, we can't go. I need to finish what I'm doing right now. And Nick is momentarily stuck by this statement because technically they're both correct. Yeah. She does need to finish this vital research to help them save the world, but they also will die if they don't go. Yeah, they need to leave because they're under attack. Finally, he makes the call and he's like, no, we... Do not have time. Something is breaking in right now and is getting closer because there are chunks of ceiling coming off. Uh, So he snatches up her notebook, her laptop. He forces her to focus up and she doesn't argue. She just is like, okay, this is happening. Gathers up a few things and they kind of make a run deeper into the library. Yeah, he, he all but smacks her out of prodigy mode. He all but smashes her in the head with the laptop too. He once again gets that (laughs) homicidal urge. Right, Johnny is dazed in this moment. Like, she comes across as someone who's not fully present, because my guess is her mind is trying to process all the sanity-shredding information she's been mainlining while he was asleep. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Now, Nick knows that her special brain is going to memorize anything it reads, whether she wants it to or not. So he's like, so you've been pouring through all these magic tomes, anything in there that might help us escape from this. And she's like, "Mm, yeah, it's dangerous. And he's like, Staying here is also dangerous. Let's take the chance. (laughs) Yep, we're rolling the dice here. So she uh, draws a circle on the floor and they get gated somewhere else, just as something gets into the library and takes a swipe at Nick. They arrive in a place. (laughs) That is surprisingly the most accurate way to describe where they land. It sure is a place. Yeah, it's all swirly green clouds and jagged twisted stone. It looks... Like an alien planet from, like, a movie. Yeah. Nick is like, this doesn't seem like Earth. And Johnny confirms, no, it's one of the places where they lurk. And he's like, did you did you take us here on purpose directly to where they live? To the place where they are? And she confirms, no, but we were kind of in a hurry. And he's like, nah, that's fair. That tracks. Look, you only get one portal. It only goes one place. Yeah. She doesn't really pause beyond that. She just kind of pulls back out her notes and gets back to work. So Nick decides, all right, well, I'm not going to be any help to her at the moment. So he goes and takes a little walk, kind of to try to vent some frustration as well, and to to get a little bit of a lay of the land and give her some space to research. And honestly, part of me thinks he's just looking for something to do instead of just sitting beside Johnny being antsy. Yeah. Watching her read books. Yeah. He might as well try to just wander around. Maybe he can see or find something useful. While he's taking his stroll, he kind of ruminates on whether they really are all the same. Because he's like, you know, they've been asleep for millions of years. Maybe it's possible some of them have changed in that time, right? Like, people change. It seems logically impossible that a race of monsters 
wouldn't. Albeit monsters. Yeah. And, and inherently chaotic beings, no less, wouldn't also change over time. Maybe some of them turned over a new leaf. Maybe some of them have decided, hey, you know what? Those humans, they're not so bad. Johnny has, of course, repeatedly denied the possibility that any of them could fundamentally be good. And I think her argument is more based on the fact that they have no conception of good. Any more than they have any conception of really evil. They just kind of are. And the way they are is antithetical to the way we are. But Nick can't conceive of that. He's like, no, some of them have to be, on some level, not evil. <laughs> right? Uh, I think Nick's logic here falls under if you are intelligent enough to know that you want Earth and humans and this dimension and this realm, you are intelligent enough to suss out some version of good and evil, right? For lack of a better term, you're not just a mindless zombie with base urges. You're a thinking, reasoning creature. Right. The problem is, and this is where Nick's logic fails, is that Nick is ascribing humanity to fundamentally oh. inhuman creatures. Yes, absolutely. He's projecting himself onto something that has no basis of comparison. And I think that's where his logic fails. Because as I had previously stated, Johnny says that they're evil, but I don't know that they know what evil is. It, yeah, it's <laughs> she's using the human language equivalent to make him understand yeah. that what they are is evil. That's what we call it to understand what it is. They probably don't call it that. They just probably, they just that's just how they exist. They just are. Yeah. But because she has simplified it for Nick's crude caveman brain, <laughs> it has resulted in him thinking, well, if where evil exists, so too must good. Because evil can't exist in a vacuum. You have to have something to uh, compare it against in order for it to be a thing. He's not wrong there. But my hypothesis presupposes it isn't a thing for them because there is no good to compare it to. Yes. Uh, if anything, the good to compare them to is humans. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. That also tracks. Yeah. It just doesn't track for Nick. Well, and, and he doesn't really consider it in this moment. And I mean, I could be... I could be completely wrong. I could be reading into this. That's true. But part of the part we, we of the, could always be very wrong. The cosmic part of cosmic horror really lies in the insignificance of humanity in the face of an unthinking, uncaring universe. Mm. And when you're up against beings on this cosmic level, they treat us like ants because we are as ants to them. And you don't really think twice about accidentally stepping on an ant when you're walking down the street. Especially the ants, if you don't even know you've accidentally stepped on an ant. The ants would consider you monstrous. And all you're trying to do is just get them out of your yard by spraying, you know, yeah. ant killer on, or, their, on their nest. Or all you've done is walk down the sidewalk. Yeah. But in this case, like, they were invading your home, but you never really considered that that was also their home. And, or you just walked down the street and smushed a bunch of them. Didn't even notice. Didn't even notice. And that's kind of, like, that's a frequent comparison that's made. We are as ants to them, but it's an apt comparison. Yeah. They don't think of us because we are so far beneath them. But Nick is saying, maybe they do think of us. Maybe some of them would catch the bug and put it outside instead. Here's the thing, though. He might not be wrong. I mean, Drazenoth certainly seems to notice humans. Yeah. Maybe more of them do. And maybe they've noticed him. And maybe that's why he was given that bargain. Because he's actually important and smart and good. 
and he would be doing a good thing by killing Johnny and preserving the world. And then he would get elevated up and be an important person in whatever is left after that. Because the good ones also want it to stop. And that's what they're doing. Those are the people who reached out to him. The good ones reached out to him. It makes sense. I mean, maybe? Unlikely. Nick makes a decision in this moment. He makes an unfortunate decision that, fortunately, he is not able to follow up on. Because in this moment, he decides to kill Johnny. Yeah. Okay, remember a couple chapters earlier when he talked about feeling infected? Mm Mm-hmm. This is clearly his infection taking hold, right? He he was infected. It gave him the urge to kill. He he uses his time to think here to justify to himself why it's the right thing to do. Yes. Because it's been niggling at him for chapters. And yep. now he's finally had the, the time to think about it and come to a decision. And his decision is to kill Johnny. Uh-huh. So he puts a smile on his face, heads back to Johnny... Hey, what's up? How are things going? Goes to get close to her and finds himself stopped by her warding spell. Yep. And, and thank goodness. And that creates a tense moment because Nick suddenly understands why she, quote, couldn't get him any warding spells. Couldn't include him in the protection. Just in case she needed to protect herself from him. Because she doesn't trust him. And that is a devastating realization for him in this moment because he's like, of course, I am always on the outside because she has never trusted me. And granted, in this case, she was right not to trust I was going to say, she's right, though. It it saved her because he was coming to hurt her. But that doesn't change the fact that she has never trusted him, which is the deeper, more hurtful realization. I don't know about never. She has never trusted him, or she would have trusted him with her secret long ago. Because there are levels of trust. She, she may not have ever trusted him with her secret. But I am sure she has trusted him to a a certain level. And maybe she just trusts him a little less now because she knows that he's vulnerable. I would argue, certainly from Nick's perspective, I would argue that in this moment, he realizes that she has never trusted him. Oh, from Nick's perspective? A hundred percent. The reason why the warning spell has not been hedging out Nick Pryor is because this is the first time he's approached her with actual ill intent. And that's why it's kind of activated in this moment. And she knows it and he knows it. And she's like, we're going to have to have a talk about this at some point, but now is not the time because something is paying attention to us right now. Yeah. Well, to be fair, they are basically hiding in their bedroom. Yes. They're trying to, they're trying to hide right under their noses. Yeah. Right. You can only do that for so long. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, Nick feels it, too, in this moment. Like, deep in his soul, he knows something has turned its attention on them. Especially when she's being, like, a beacon of magic over there. Yeah. And uh, they need to bail right now. Johnny grabs up her stuff and gates them back to the library. Obviously, it's just a a two-way gate that goes to the same location. Uh, Just as something emerges from the swirly clouds and comes after them. Right. And they arrive at the library in time to be caught in the middle of a swarm of other dangerous things that right? had broken in. Yeah, This is very much a frying pan fire situation oh. here. Oh, I don't know frying pan fire because I think they just jumped out of the fire and back into the frying pan, honestly. <laughs> I think it would have been worse for them to stay in the, uh, on the alien world. <laughs> the point is there is no safe space at the moment. No. Uh, Nick gets bit almost instantly. Uh, And he'll, in fact, find the thing's tooth in his jeans later on in the chapter. Ew. They manage to escape upstairs, only to find the door has been barred. Yeah, Um, not locked, not not closed. Just barred. Barred. 
Um, Johnny's spending a lot of her magic points here fighting off monsters. It's clearly taking a toll on her. Her spells are getting weaker and weaker. Um, Nick fights off the attack swarm long enough for her to just kind of melt a hole in the door so that they can try to jimmy the bar off. Yeah. And Nick is able to dislodge it finally, and they get out not a moment too soon, essentially. Yeah, he's he's got some brute force in him, which is impressive. Yeah. He manages to get this... I mean, like, he's physically bigger than Johnny, and she's spent at yeah, that point. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So he's like, okay, <laughs> I got the muscle. Here we go. Uh, they spot Akhmatov huddled in the corner with his lantern, and Nick realizes that A, the creatures obviously came in from elsewhere, and B, the door was barred from the outside, which means Akhmatov well, yeah. was trying to keep them and the creatures inside the library. Yes. Like, nice enough to let Johnny into the library, suspected what might come out, and sort of left them to their fate. More or less, yeah. yeah. Um, and they kind of leave him to his fate because his house is a pile of rubble by the end of this chapter. Which is unfortunate because he had that magnificent underground library. Yeah, the library might have largely survived. It's underground. I don't know. Big chunks of stuff were falling from the ceiling. Mm. They bolt into the city. Uh, find a park to settle down in for a moment, catch their breath. Nick notices that uh, Johnny has clearly swiped several books from Akhmatov's collection, and she's like, eh, serve that jerk right. <laughs> he locked us in a library with scary things. Yeah. After a beat, Johnny's like, okay, so here's the deal. We need to head to Nineveh in northern Iraq. That is for sure the gate that's going to open. The spell we need should be stored in a tablet underneath the old king's tomb, assuming that it hasn't been stolen or collected by archaeologists because the city is now a research site. But, I mean, we don't have a choice. We have to gamble on it. We're running out of time. At the very least, that's where we need to start. Yeah, and Nick is like, that's it. That's all we need, finally. No more running around. No more fetch quests. No more other books. We That is where we need to go. That's it. And Johnny's like, yes, basically. I hoped that we'd maybe find some more, but what we have is what we have, and it's just going to have to do. Now the situation is that they just have to elude all mortal and eldritch authorities to get there. <laughs> right? Yeah. No problem. Super easy. Right? Johnny has a, a moment here at the end of the chapter where she says, you know, when we were kids, after the hostage taking, someone should have helped us and no one did. And that's why basically she knows that no one will help them now. And number one, wow, she's deeply broken. And number two, this is actually a self-fulfilling and self-defeating situation. She doesn't trust anyone to help them, so she refuses all help. Yeah. So no one helps them. Right? This very much has the the air of, like, two teens versus the world, right? With that teenage naivete. Like, the, the simple understanding that well, no one helped us then, so no one's going to help us now. Yep. This is what all adults are like. It's teenage naivete. I think that Johnny thinks she sees the big picture and she might be looking at a big picture but i think she's looking at it through tinted glasses if i may mix a bunch of metaphors together here but this is this tracks actually this well, is something we've talked about with yeah, johnny before we've talked before about johnny and missing the forest for the trees kind because of thing because she frequently thinks she sees the big picture but she actually doesn't it's like again it all harkens back to those fancy lean-tos she was making for refugees. I see the big picture. People just need to be able to survive in order to solve all their problems. And it's like, no, you don't see the big picture. You're yeah. looking at it very small. Treating the, big, the symptoms doesn't cure the disease. The big picture is the things that made them need the lean-tos in the first place, and you're not solving that. Right. 
allowing people to survive is not the same as allowing them to thrive. And it all harkens back to her worldview here in that she thinks she sees the big picture. No, we can't trust anyone to help us. But in fact, she's defeating herself because she's not trusting anyone to help them. Right. She didn't trust Rutger. Nope. She didn't trust the Sorati Society. Nope. And, and now she doesn't trust Nick. And now she doesn't trust Nick. She doesn't trust Nick enough that she even refuses his hand when he offers to help her off the bench, which is very telling. Yeah. I actually, in my notes, wrote, yeesh. <laughs> there is, I, I don't think there is any kind of therapy for someone like Johnny. We're into the final 24 hours. Johnny outright says that. This is the final day. It's now or never. Yep. They have to get to Nineveh now, and they need to find the tablet, and they need to use the magic and seal the gate. Yes. Unfortunately, they haven't yet noticed the crack in the wall. They've been on the run basically nonstop. Yeah. And they haven't, uh, and, and on the short time schedule they have, they haven't had the time to really look at the, again, look at the big picture. Johnny's a it, very smart girl. With, who's, with tunnel vision. With tunnel vision, exactly. She's so laser focused on what she thinks the solution to the problem is that she hasn't considered that the problem might be bigger or different than she anticipated. Yes. And this is going to come back and bite her in the butt. I am confident. Yeah, we're very close to the end of the book, and I'm going to say that they probably do not stop the end of the world. Well, they might not. I will point out that this is the first book in a series of books. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, I didn't uh, know There that. are sequel novels to this book. So while I suspect, I certainly hope that the story, this story comes to a satisfying conclusion, does not end on a weird cliffhanger, which would be very disappointing... I'm beginning to think that things do not go so well. Okay, but at least one of them has to survive. Uh, based on the amount of space left in our novel, I'm willing to bet, if this were an action movie, <laughs> they they would actually have to make it to Nineveh, they'd actually have to find the spell, and then it may or may not go well. If this was if, Indiana Jones. If this book ends on the trajectory I think it's going, they will get to Nineveh, they will find the tablet, they will enact the ritual, they will seal the gate, and the world will end anyway. Because, again, they have not realized what the problem is. That would be interesting. They haven't noticed the crack in the wall. They're so focused on closing the door. Yeah. Huh. Well, we'll see what happens, won't we? Yeah. So, yeah. that's... Things are going to get real good. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm we're, confident. We're spinning towards a climax, yeah, for yeah. sure. And uh, I think... That climax is going to involve a confrontation between Johnny and Nick, for sure. Finally! Will they finally finish fighting this fight that they've been fighting? I Pres used to fight too many times in that sense. Yes. Probably, and I don't think it's going to go well for at least one of them. Oh, it's not going to go well for either of them. No, for sure. But there will be catharsis for Nita. Because they will finally be done. <laughs> there you go. Get it out. But uh, maybe maybe some of that catharsis will come next chapter as we move into chapter 22. Two. Yep, of our novel. And our 200th episode. Yay! Yeah. Because this is Did episode one, 199. Mostly just kind of noting that it's our 200th episode. The way that our format works, we don't really have special episodes. We can't really have special episodes. Not really. So we're not really planning anything special for the 200th, but a, a milestone worth noting at yeah. the very least. Achievement unlocked. It'll be, it'll be happy 200. Indeed. So uh, you'll want to tune in for that. And in the meantime, 200 episodes in, we haven't always been part of the Alberta Podcast Network, but we are happy to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network. And that network would not exist without the support of many of our sponsors, including the Edmonton Community Foundation, 
who, as is frequently the case on our podcast, <laughs> has an ad. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out the wellendowedpodcast.com. Well Endowed Podcast. Woo! We still woo for them. I'd call them friends of the podcast. We never actually had them on the podcast. No. But they are they are certainly, we we consider them friends of the podcast, <laughs> if nothing else. If nothing, nothing else, friends of the network. Oh, for sure. Uh, you can check them out and uh, many of the other sponsors of the podcast right now at the network website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. Uh, all of the other member podcasts are there as well. And uh, there are some new ones. You'll want to check those out as you go and visit. If you find another podcast you like, download it on your podcatcher of choice. That's probably where you're getting us. Probably. Well, while you're there, give us a little rating and a review. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, we'd like to show that appreciation to you via social media. <laughs> we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads, because we're special and bookish that way. We are at the read along on most of those. Yeah, we uh, can also be reached via email. We are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. For exciting conclusions! Woo! Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All read along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. <laughs> <laughs>